you're listening to Going Places. I'm your host, Kara Orbell. I initially started this podcast to learn more about the ins and outs of travel. Eventually, I discovered there's so much more to a person than where they go. My goal is to learn more from people who are going places. I've interviewed community leaders, entrepreneurs, veterans, authors, and experts who tell fascinating stories and give amazing advice. Thanks for tuning in, and I can't wait to see where you go. Hi, everyone. You're listening to Going Places. I'm your host, Kara Orbell, and today I have a very special guest. I'm talking to Kristen Westrick. She is a performance coach and consultant for athletes across Wisconsin. She currently works with high schoolers to maximize team potential and allow them to mentally prepare for success. And she herself is an accomplished athlete, having completed three Ironman triathlons, over 10 marathons, and many other races. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Uh, Yeah. So I want to start. I love this topic. I love the mindset conversation, but I want to start with your background. So let's, let's dive into the beginning. What was it like growing up in Wisconsin? Well, actually, so so I didn't move to Wisconsin until I was 10. Okay. Um, I'm originally from Michigan, Ann Arbor. Um, So that's where my family lived and my family moved to Wisconsin when I was 13. Um, So while most of my formative years are in Wisconsin, um, I am originally from Michigan. Um, and growing, growing up in Wisconsin, upper Midwest, Michigan is awesome. It's a great place to grow up. Um, families are important. There's lots of activities year round. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, great to grow up here. And you left your family at age 10 to go figure skate, right? What was that experience like? Yes. Um, you know, looking back on it, um, I'm not sure that if my children had the opportunity um, to do that, I, how comfortable I would have been. Um, but at the time I was, you know, a, a fairly competitive, you know, competitive, pretty good kid. I was 10, right? I mean, I was little. Um, and my coach in Ann Arbor had, was leaving, was moving. Mm-hmm. And so I was in the process of looking for a new coach. Um, had one hired, but then went to a camp similar to any kind of camps that you'd have for any sport. And this camp had world famous figure skating coaches come and teach different things at this camp. And there was a coach there who was from Wisconsin who asked if I would be interested in coming to train with him. His name is Evie Scottbold. Um, he was Nancy Kerrigan's coach, if you're familiar with Nancy Kerrigan. Um, I trained with Evie in Janesville, Wisconsin, um, left my home in Ann Arbor at 10 and went to Janesville to skate with Evie. My mom, when he approached her, thought, oh yeah, that'd be fun. A two week sleepaway camp kind of thing. And his response was, no, she comes for 12 weeks or she doesn't come at all. Um, And that was the start of me spending about a year and a half in Janesville training with Evie moved back to Michigan for about a year, um, after that. And then my whole family decided to move back to Wisconsin when, when I was 13. Hmm. And was that the start of your journey with athletic mindset in a way? It's, you know, I was, when you sent the questions, um, things that you wanted to talk about, um, and I might be jumping ahead and we can, Hmm. you know, do what we need to do, but, um, 
my journey with athletic mindsets didn't start till I was an adult. Okay. And it didn't, um, it didn't occur to me as a 10 year old or even, um, you know, 16 year old, what mindset was, we're, we're talking, this was the eighties, right. And we didn't talk about mindset. I was told to concentrate. I was told to focus, but mindset wasn't, uh, it wasn't talked about. It wasn't a phrase and it was never. And if it was, it certainly wasn't talked about to me. So that's part of my journey to being where I am today is that I think that if um, I had someone at 10, 12, 15, 16, even you know, older talking to me about mindset, um, my 20s and 30s would have been a whole lot different and maybe even yeah. 40s <laughs> would have okay. been a whole lot different. Interesting. So when do you think if you could put a time on it, when do you think you actually discovered this mindset? I think it was when I went through my life coaching training. Hmm. Okay. That was a transformative process for me um, and really changed the way I thought about things, um, opened my mind to researchers um, like Brene Brown and hmm. writers like Carol Dweck and Angela Duckworth and people opened my, my world to, to mindset and a frame of thinking that was completely new to me. I had never, um, didn't even know really it existed, um, prior to that. You know, I had heard things, oh, again, like positive mental attitude and, you know, but, but never really explored what it meant and what it looked like and how, those things really affect your life. I always thought it was kind of like, blah, 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 you know, pie in the sky. Yeah. Whatever. Um, Oprah Winfrey talk, you know, I mean, that's <laughs> literally what I thought until I dug deep and then really did some self-reflection and grow growing um, to re- realize just how important mindset is. Interesting. So when did you start endurance, like running and triathlons then? I started, well, I've, I've always, I like to say, um, I've always been prior to really starting to train. I was an, a consistently inconsistent runner. Uh-huh. Um, I ran, but not consistently, you know, so I was consistently yeah. inconsistent. Um, you know, and I do a 5k or a 10k and it was just more for fun and stress yeah. relief and not that it what never, ever became not for fun. Um, but I did my first triathlon when we so full disclosure, I know your mom and we went to college together and we worked together in San Francisco. Um, and when I moved back to Wisconsin from San Francisco, I moved back in winter and anyone who knows Wisconsin in winter, it can be pretty sedentary, kind of hunker down indoors, um, stay warm. Um, so I made it a goal that I wasn't going to be sedentary that winter, um, my first winter back. And I signed up for a triathlon. Um, that first summer sprint distance, very short. Um, but it was something to keep me moving, keep me motivated over the winter months. Um, and that was the first one I did sprint distance. And it just kind of grew from there. Um, always enjoying triathlon and training. Um, then I got busy and got pregnant and had babies. Um, and that took, I didn't race for a few years, but then after I had my second daughter, um, I decided I wanted to do a marathon 
And I had done a half marathon before that. Um, but I decided that I wanted to do a marathon because deep down inside, I knew I wanted to do an Ironman and I couldn't do an Ironman if I had never run a marathon. Um, so I started endurance or longer, uh, races with marathoning. Okay. Um, and, and then not that a sprint distance triathlon isn't long, but it's not compared to a marathon or, you know, even, even an Olympic distance triathlon. Um, so so yeah, I don't know. Did that answer your question? Yeah, no, that's perfect. So what was your first experience like then with the marathon? Um, it was hard. I mean, it was good. Yeah. It was awesome. Um, cause I did it again. Right. I mean, yeah. I got home that day after So the first marathon I did was I'd have to go look at the t-shirt. I don't know what year it would have been. Um, <laughs> maybe 2000, 2002. So okay. maybe 20 years ago, green, the green Bay marathon. Okay. In, no, no. Wouldn't have been 2002. It would have been 2003. Okay. Um, so 2003 green Bay marathon. Um, I trained myself and all the marathons that I've done, I've trained myself. Um, it was hard because in marathon training, at least for me, um, because I am older, um, the longest run I will do before a marathon is 20 miles. Okay. Um, and so, you know, after that point in the race, because a full marathon is 26.2. Mm-hmm. Um, so after that point in the race, I had never run that far. And you just don't know what your body is going to do. And it, and it, and it hurts. It does. It hurts. Hips hurt, ankles hurt, feet hurt, whatever it is and your body starts to hurt. Um, but it was awesome. Such a sense of accomplishment. Um, yeah, just, I just felt, you know, a huge sense of accomplishment and look at what I can do when I put my mind to it. Yeah. And it wasn't easy. It is hard, but, um, but I loved it. So yeah, that was the first of of many. And I say 10, I don't know. It could be way more than that. I don't, wow. I'd have to go and think about it, but yeah. <laughs> so that's crazy. So then how many years after did you do your Ironman? I did my first iron. I wanted to do one before I turned 40. So okay. I did my first Ironman in 2008, mm-hmm. um, September of 2008. I did my first Ironman in Madison. So Ironman Wisconsin is always in Madison. Um, awesome race. Um, but yeah, so I did it in 2008. What was that experience like? Cause I can only comprehend running a full marathon, but that's running, biking, sw- like that has to be such an interesting experience. Yeah. <laughs> it's overwhelming. Um, but it is, you know, race day is awesome. Race day is you feel every emotion available to humans. I think, um, okay. on race day. There's fear, there's excitement, there's anxiety, there's, um, adrenaline. You know, it's, you, you feel there's calm. I mean, there's everything. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a process. It's, it's a year long process. You know, you sign up almost a year ahead of time and then that's your prime, at least for me, it was my primary focus for the next year to race day. Um, and yeah, it was, First, so the first time was I, I trained myself for the first one. Um, and I, I didn't know what I didn't know. Right. And I had a great day, but I also went into it having no expectations. Uh-huh. No, I, you know, let's just finish. And, 
gosh, I hope I make the swim cut off. And, oh, I hope I make the bike cut off. And, oh, I hope I make the half marathon cut off so I can finish the full run. So I actually wow. can finish. Yeah. Um, and I had, I had a great day. Um, I think it was though, because I had no expectations. Let's like, let's just go see what we can do. Um, in subsequent years, when I did it, I actually used a coach trained much, much, much harder, much more thorough training. Um, and those were hard in different ways because I had higher expectations, right? I kind of knew what I could do and had trained and used a coach and, um, spent a lot more time on it than I did the first time. So, um, so yeah, I know it was, it's, it's awesome. I mean, again, it's that sense of accomplishment, seeing what your body can do physically and mentally. And, you know, I don't think as of today, there's another Ironman in my future, Hmm. but knowing what I know about mindset and the mental endurance that's needed both from doing it before, but also now my growth personally and my education um, and the things that I work with high school student athletes about um, it'd be an interesting process. I have run one marathon since, um, I've been working with athletes and, um, yeah, it was, it was a different experience than other marathons that I have had. So, yeah. Huh. That's cool. I want to talk about that marathon you ran, but let's dive into, so you mentioned that you feel all the feels during an Ironman. Did that help you when you want decided to become a life coach? Because you were like, I've been through it all. I've been through tough experiences. And as an athlete, was that kind of the catalyst to becoming a life coach? Well, so there's two answers to that. The catalyst to becoming a life coach truly was, um, so I, again, back to your mom, I worked with your mom and I mm-hmm. have a, you know, a, a degree in business risk management insurance from UW Madison. Um, and I love the insurance business, but at, there was a point in my life where my husband and I were fighting over who was going to stay home with sick kids Mm-hmm. And whose work was more important? Um, and that, why did you have kids if we're going to argue about whose job is more important? Who's going to stay home? So we made the family decision that I was going to stay home with his kid, with our kids, um, so that I'm not calling grandparents at 5:30 in the morning saying somebody's throwing up. I have a meeting. He's out of town. Somebody needs to come. So I made the decision to stay home. As they were getting older, um, I knew they didn't need me as much. So I needed. I wanted to do something, but I didn't want to go back to insurance. I enjoyed it. I did well. I wasn't passionate about it. And, um, you know, while I helped companies protect their assets and protect their employees, I didn't feel like I was making an impact in the world. Um, So I really looked at something that I wanted to do where I could work with people and have an impact. I mean, I looked at me, oh, maybe I'll go to nursing school. Maybe I'll be a physical therapist. But then it was like, oh, that's another three, four years of school <laughs> and tens of thousands of dollars. And I'm already old. So um, I, I think I don't believe in coincidence. But mm-hmm. as the time I was going through all this, I got an email from the UW um, Madison continuing education department how they were starting a new certification program in life coaching. Hmm. And so I researched what is life coaching and I looked into it and I'm like, yeah, this is what I want to do. This is what I can do. It's a year long program, pretty intensive, very regular. I won't say pretty, very intensive, very rigorous um, international coaching federation accredited program. Um, But I thought if I could get the certification, 
and start working with people to make a difference in their lives that kind of that that felt right so that's what I did I pursued that little did I know what I was getting into but like I said it was transformative and it was awesome (laughs) what do you mean by that (laughs) it's a tough program it's uh, it's rigorous it's intensive but it requires really you to be coached you know Mm -hmm. part of the requirement is to have a personal life coach it's taught by life coaches you work with different life coaches throughout so there's a lot of growth and um growth is uncomfortable yeah and growth is hard and there were a lot of times during especially the first few months where i'm like i can't do this Hmm. because it was teaching me things about mindset and forcing me to look at things differently and look at myself differently and again it was uncomfortable Hmm. and i didn't want to be uncomfortable nobody does humans (laughs) don't like to be no humans don't like to be uncomfortable right yeah um but they cro- they call them growing pains for a reason, whether it's physical growth or mental and emotional growth, it's painful and it's hard work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did not have any clue what I was getting into when I registered for that class, that that's what it was going to be like. Um, transformative, cannot say enough. It was probably the best thing I've ever done as an adult, but, um, but it was hard. It was yeah. really hard. Wow. That's so interesting. Cause you never think about like when someone does something transformative and someone learns to do something like life coaching, how much you have to change your own mindset and your own basically lifestyle to do this. So yeah. that's really yeah. interesting. Yes. Exactly. Huh. Well, maybe not everyone does. I think a lot of people in my cohort actually, you know, thought these ways before, you know, I worked, some huh. of the people in the cohort were HR, um, professionals, some were social workers, some were, um, we had people in ministry come through. So they thought this way, kind of already thought this way, thought in a life coaching way. Um, We're very curious, we're very authentic and genuine already. And I think I was always not curious, really guarded. Hmm. Um, I was a figure skater, I needed to be perfect, right? I I, recovering perfectionist. I like that. So I was challenging all of those things. And I don't think everyone in the cohort had to challenge some of the things that I had to challenge. Yeah. Um, again, I don't think it was easy for anybody, but I was coming at it from a really different personal space um, where I, I, yeah, the growth was incredible. Yeah. So, so why did you focus on high schoolers? Cause now you work with mainly high schoolers and athletes. Why did you hone in on that? Um, because it's an unserved market. Oh, And because, I mean, that's not really, I mean, yes, totally unserved mental health in teenagers today is, is, is a big issue, right? Um, Even before the pandemic, Um, it was big issue that, you know, again, there's a stigma tied to it. But as I said earlier, I think my figure skating career and my twenties and thirties, maybe even into my forties would have been really different if someone would have talked to me about things like like mindset Mm -hmm. what is motivation like being resilient and persevering and Mm -hmm. you know self-talk you know and setting goals and you know things that 
progress isn't linear, you know, focus on the process, not the outcome. I was all about perfect scores and perfect programs Mm -hmm. and passing the next test. And, you know, and it wasn't about enjoying the process. And those weren't things that we talked about. Now, maybe some people did, but I wasn't talked about that kind of stuff. Um, And then working with coaches as an adult, Mm -hmm. I noticed that missing a little bit too, that maybe I wanted a little bit more touchy feely, not the shoulder to cry on necessarily, but someone that could help me, you know, my coaches were, my coach was wonderful. Um, but it was all about doing the physical stuff. Like, this is what you need to do six days a week. And then there's the seventh day of rest. And then you gotta, you know, this is what you're doing, but there was none of that mental aspect of of really long training days in Mm -hmm. Ironman. I mean, there are days, you know, I can remember vividly. I was on, you know, an 80 mile bike ride and I had to come home and run like 10 miles when I got home. (laughs) And I was at about, I don't know, six miles, 60 on the bike. And I just started crying. Like, I can't do this. This is so hard. I can't do this. And honestly, I don't know what got me through, but now I would recognize those thoughts for what they were and coach myself through them right huh. mentally yeah um but at the time i like i said i don't even know like how i sucked it up and i just got through it but um but yeah it just i i just think that for high school kids whether it's a team sport or an individual more of an individual sport like cross country or tennis where your points count towards your team but it's more of an individual effort yeah um just giving the kids the skills to compete and stay positive with themselves, but more importantly, take what they're learning in their sports and apply it after high school, mm, apply okay. it in college and apply it when they're an adult. Cause like I said, I think my twenties and thirties would have been way different if huh. someone would have told me some of the things that I hope some of these high school kids are getting from our conversations that we have together. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Interesting. So when you work with high schoolers, do you notice, cause you talked a little bit about your experience in the eighties with it, not being mental health, not being discussed, but do you notice major things holding students back now in this day and age? I think the things holding kids back in this day and age are similar to what I think, I think similar to what I dealt with. And I think it's commonality across, you know, High-performing athletes or high-performing students hmm. have high expectations of themselves. Parents have high expectations of them. You know, there's a whole lot there. Um, so it's the same, the same things, mm-hmm. but now you talk about it more, or at least I hope to. I mean, I know yeah. the school districts that I work in um, are really aware of the importance of mental health, even as especially for teenagers and giving them the skills that they need to manage their mental health, take the lessons they're learning in sports and apply it to their chemistry class, to their algebra class. And then, you know, again, when they leave high school, um, they're aware that that's an important process and to start planting the seeds in a high school brain Mm -hmm. that by the time they're an adult, they've got those skills, they've got the tree, the growth, whatever that they kind of know, like, oh yeah, Mrs. Westrick talked about this. What did she say? That's my goal. One kid to remember one thing we talked about when they leave high school and, um, hopefully help them get through a tough time. I like that. I interviewed, uh, 
she's a researcher who talks about um, athletes who've been bullied by either their classmates or coaches. We talked a lot about abusive coaching and she mentioned that you should think of your brain as a tree and how it's constantly growing and changing and like pruning. And I think that it's so interesting that you mentioned that as well. Yeah. I really like that. (laughs) So what I hope I'm doing, I hope they have a little bit of growth, but I really just hope that, because I, I, I don't spend a ton of time with them, not as much as their physical coaches. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but I hope I'm just planting the seeds that Mm -hmm. they can pull out. And, you know, if there's growth during their season or during their high school career, some of these kids I see freshman year through senior year, I've been doing it long enough now that I've actually see kids graduate, um, that, you know, I hope that they learn, they can remember, um, and these things grow as they go through their high school career and, after high school. I like that. Do you see any direct growth from the students that you've worked with who've gone on to college or gone on to senior year? I haven't had a lot of connection with the kids once they graduate from high school. Okay. Um, you know, I mean, once, you know, some, some of them go on to play at the next level, but the vast majority do not. Yeah. Um, and they're not reaching out back to me saying, Hey, you know, I thought of you. Um, so that's <laughs> not there, but I do see, um, kids picking up on common themes. Like Mm -hmm. if I, especially, you know, if I've been with, been with the team, like if they're, you know, if they're, you know, talented and skilled and hardworking enough to make a varsity team as a freshman, I could see them all four years. Right. Um, And so by the time they get to their junior and senior year and we start to talk about stuff, they'll be the first ones to, um, oh yeah. Yeah. So, you know, big thing I said, (laughs) and I said it like you know, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. I talk about that a lot. And, um, and they love that phrase or, you know, all leaders, I do a lot of leadership development. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, leadership starts with self-leadership. You can't lead others if you don't lead yourself. And what does self-leadership? And so when I say that, I'm like, where does leadership self and it start? And they're like, oh, with self-leadership, you know, so <laughs> it, it does over time, it does, it does help them. And then again, when I'm talking with them, I try to show them how this just doesn't apply to volleyball or soccer or hockey. It applies in your chemistry class. Yeah. It applies at your job. If you work, it applies when your home life with your friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and then hopefully, you know, as you're applying for colleges and in your college life as well. So, yeah. Do you notice a difference in mindset between different athletes who play different sports? Like, are there some athletes who are more resilient or think differently than others? I can't say so. I don't think so. I mean, I, th- I think resiliency is, um, if we use that as the example, that's a personal muscle, you know, just like somebody's biceps are stronger than somebody else's biceps. I think people are, some people are just have developed a stronger, stronger resiliency muscle than others. Um, so I can't really, I, I don't, no. And I think it depends too on the team. Mm. You know, some teams are going to be a little bit more resilient than others. Um, so I think it's a muscle that needs development, just like a physical muscle does, mm-hmm. um, which is what we talk about. And no, I don't think there's any sport. I think there's some sports where you have to be more resilient, but um, you have to be able to bounce back faster. Huh. You, know, you know, I'll use the example football. There's a break in between every play right? Between every play, there's a break. Mm -hmm. Um, Soccer, you don't stop. The ball's moving the whole time. 
So you don't get that quick reset or that break to reset. Um, I think tennis and golf, they tend to stay in their head a little bit more when they make a mistake. Mm. Um, Cause it's more of a mental game for sure, but they still have, a, they still have that walk from T from, you know, the T to the next shot or the break in between points in tennis where they can do that mental reset. Um, so it's different for sports yeah, any sport. Huh. When you work with teams, do you address mental health as well? Cause I know when I was in high school and even now I struggle with anxiety and that affected my everything, even being an athlete, even now my running, do you work with them? Um, well, first of all, I'm not a psychologist Yeah, and I'm really clear with athletic directors in the high schools and coaches and teams that I am not a sports psychologist. Um, and I'm not going to ever pretend to be, um, but I do know that anxiety is high and we have anxiety, you know, you do what, well, why, why is it there? Because you want to perform because you're putting pressure on yourself because there's fear of failure. I mean, there's all kinds of things. And I try to give them tools to, I don't want to say combat, but to reduce the anxiety. Mm -hmm. And the first tool I always talk about, whether it's anxiety well, and anything is that you've got to be aware what is the thought process that starts you down that anxiety slope, right? Mm -hmm. If you know, you're not anxious to being totally anxious. What is the thought process that starts you to go down that slope? And the first step to be able to combat your anxiety is noticing those thoughts mm -hmm. and really paying attention. And that's what mindset is, mm -hmm. is really paying attention to the thoughts running through your head, your self-talk. And if you can catch the self-talk, now, trust me, this is, I don't do this very well because I'm <laughs> a highly anxious person. Um, but if you can catch those thoughts before they run out of control mm -hmm. and you can't control your thoughts, those are automatic, but you can control your response to those thoughts. And the first response is being aware mm -hmm. of when they're happening. You know, maybe, you know, is what's the trigger for an anxious thought? Is it a bad serve in tennis? Is it a foul in soccer? Is it, um, you know, missing a block in volleyball? What is the trigger that causes your anxious thoughts? And if you can be aware of that and work on it in practice and work on it outside of volleyball, you know, like, oh my gosh, when I, when I get called on in class and I don't answer correctly, my mm -hmm. anxiety and those negative thoughts start going, yeah. um, being aware of what causes them and being aware of your thoughts isn't going to stop the anxiety, but it can help you be aware of what's going to happen and try to take some steps to combat it, combat it, change your response, change your thoughts after that, mm. um, which can then, you know, change the outcome because you can't, thoughts are automatic. Mm -hmm. um, you can't control them, but if you can recognize them and challenge them and tell yourself some truths about it and maybe you can stop yourself from being so anxious or depressed or, you know, worry, worry about the outcome of a game or whatever it might be. Interesting. That's cool. So what is your favorite tool that you work with when you're teaching kids? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I try to keep it really simple. Um, my method when I'm working with teams is really, you know, it's quick shots. It's because I'm, I'm tacking onto the beginning or the end of their regular practice time. Okay. So either they're exhausted because they've been <laughs> practicing for an hour and a half already, or 
they're tired because they've been sitting in class and they have to get out to practice or whatever. So I try to do it really quick. So it's like, you know, 20 to 30 minutes. I try to have it be a conversation. High school kids always don't like to talk. Um, so I can fill the time easily, but I try to make it engaging conversation through, you know, small group discussion through games, through, you know, just even just group, large group discussion. Um, but I try to keep it easy and I try to make acronyms and, you know, four F's or five F's and four C's and things that will be really easy for them to remember. Um, since we're, you know, getting towards the end of high school fall sports already, one of the tools I like to use is tell them to play with heart. Okay. And we talk about what that looks like. What is playing with heart? And who do you know that plays with heart? And how do they play? How do they show up? What is their effort? What do they look like? And talk about the characteristics of someone that plays with heart. And then I have a little, you know, acronym. The H in heart stands stands for being humble. Mm-hmm. You, you have to be, be humble. No, you're going to make mistakes, and that's okay. And no, you have to work for everything. And be hungry. You have to want it more than your opponent. Yeah. You know, the E is putting forth effort and energy. Bring, you know, put forth the best effort. Leave it all out on the floor and bring positive energy. Hmm. The A is attitude. And that kind of goes with energy, but it's all about the attitude that you bring, that you're optimistic and you know that you can get through it and that you're going to fight through it. The A, what else did I have? I should have pulled it out. The A was attitude and I can't think of it, but the R is end resolve, resolve. You're going to, you're going to, you're determined. You're going to meet your goal. You're going to do whatever you can to meet your goal. And you're going to respect your opponent and respect the game and respect yourself. And then the T is trust, trust your training, trust your teammates, trust your coach, trust your ability. And that's how you play with heart. You're humble and you're hungry. You've got good energy and effort. You've got a great attitude and I can't remember what the other A was. Um, <laughs> you've got your resolved to meet your goals. You've got, you play with respect and then you trust. Um, and so those are the types of things that we talk about in really quick, but I want to try to get them involved in describing what those things look like for mm-hmm. them. Um, so, you know, it's stuff like that, that that's yeah. what I try to keep it really simple, really um, things that they can remember and take with them. Is there any tool or mindset that you know now that you wish you had when you were in your high school years or even? Oh, all of it. (laughs) All of it. No, really, really. I mean, I, you know, this is what I've said before. I mean, all of it. I didn't think this way. Yeah. I I was 100% focused on outcome, which was my grades, my grades, or my place in whatever I was doing or my score. It wasn't about, did I do, it wasn't about effort ever. Yeah. It was always about what was the grade. Um, And, and I took that even into, you know, some of my early adult races. The first ones were always wonderful because the outcome was, I didn't even have any clue, (laughs) but then once you have, once you have one race under your belt, then there's an outcome goal, right? Like you're focusing, I got to improve my time. I've got to be faster. I've got to run this pace, whatever it is. Um, and now I'm much more able to go into stuff and just enjoy the process and mm. not worry about the outcome. Yeah. And not all the time, but most of the time now, because I'm able to enjoy the process, the outcome is better. 
the outcome is what I work for. Hmm. Um, but that's not what I'm focused on. Um, and I share this with students too. When I set a goal for a race, let's just say a marathon. Um, I always set three goals. The first goal I set is to have fun and to finish, (laughs) you know, every, every day, whether it's high school sports or training for a marathon is not going to be fun. Yeah. It's hard. It's not going to be fun. And every minute in a race or in a game, isn't going to be fun. But if at the end of the process at the finish line, at, at the end of the season, at the banquet, if you can look back and say that was fun, then that's worth it. Right. Mm-hmm. So marathon goals, have fun and finish. And then I set a realistic time goal, like based on where I am, what my training is realistic. Is yeah. it going to be a push? Sure. But I probably can get there. Right. Like, like I can get there. If I, if I train appropriately, I can probably get there. And then I set that push goal that, um, if the weather is perfect, if everything goes well, if I'm feeling really good, if I don't have any gastric, you know, distress during a run or, you know, if everything goes well, then what could I, or, you know, if I'm running fast, then what can that goal be? Hmm. Um, whenever I sign up for a race, it's always about having fun and just finishing and enjoying the process. Cause I'm not doing this to add more stress to my life. Life is hard yeah. enough. Um, and that's what I tell the high school athletes too, is that you get to play your sport. You get yeah. to compete. You get to, you, you're, I hope you're yeah. choosing to do this, mm-hmm. that no one is making you play this sport. You're choosing it. You get to do it. So your first goal, I hope is to have fun. Cause that's what high school sports are all about. I get winning's important. I will never, ever, ever say that winning is not important. But if you're not having fun, winning doesn't mean much. Mm-hmm. I like that. That's such so, a good way to set your goals. I'm going to do that with my future races. Okay. I love that. Good. <laughs> Let me know how it works. <laughs> okay, I will. <laughs> so I only have um, two more questions, but I want to okay. hear how, how did your marathon go now that you are a life coach? We talked about oh. that in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So the last marathon I ran was the 2019 Chicago marathon. Okay. Um, and then the world shut down after that. Right. Um, so races are just starting to come back. Um, what happened before I started training was I was barefoot at a pool and I tripped and I broke a bone spur on Mm -hmm. the, off of my heel. I didn't know I had a heel spur. Um, until I tripped and whatever. So my training didn't go awesome. Um, I couldn't run when I was going to start training early because it had been a while since I had run a marathon. I wasn't allowed to run at all for a while. Um, I biked, so I tried to stay fit, but running and biking fitness is different. Yeah. Um, and when I did start running, you know, I thought, oh, I'll start slow. I'll run two or three miles. And then my doctor and a coach that I know is like, no, you're not running two or three miles. You're running two or three minutes. And then you've got to walk. <gasps> so for the first time in my life, I did, I don't know if you're familiar with the penguin, John Bingham, he's a writer for runner's world. He okay. has a run, walk, run, walk program. Oh, So the first time, because I couldn't run. Right. Yeah. I did. So the first time in my life training for Chicago, I used this run walk program. Interesting. Um, and as a recovering perfectionist, um, 
who likes to achieve and, you know, likes to be really successful in marathoning. Um, and I'm not really successful. I'm not, but I'm, I, I'm better than average, but I'm not like super fast. Um, or I was anyway, this was really hard, right? Yeah. This was really hard. So I think my life coaching transformation, the work that I had done, Mm-hmm. My ability to recognize thought patterns, um, to coach myself through bad attitudes, hard days, mm-hmm. um, really allowed me to accept, okay, you're going to have to run, walk this training and, you know, just be okay with it. Right. And again, enjoy the process. What, why are you running this race? You know, I'm not going to go to the Olympics. I'm not going to ever be an elite runner. Um, I was doing it to have fun. I had never run Chicago. Yeah. It's just on the road, you know, so it really (laughs) made me focus on that, have fun and finish goal. Okay. Right. Yeah. So it really made me focus on, okay, this is all about fun and finishing. Um, and, you know, so I started off, you know, walking four minutes, running one, and then slowly Mm. we did down that on marathon day, I said, okay, I'm going to run, I'm going to run the first 10 K and see how I feel. And if it hurts, then I'll go back to my run walk. Mm -hmm. Um, but I ended up running the whole thing. Wow. Um, I ended up finishing in under four hours, which I did not (laughs) think was possible. Um, but I think it was because I just accepted it. It was going to be what it was going to be. Yeah. And I was going to trust my body and trust myself to know what I was capable of handling, um, throughout the day. And I just had a blast. It was just, it was fun because I was focused on that. Right. I wasn't worried about, Oh, I need to be to the 10 K mark by this time in order to be there by that time to be able to be across the finish line by that time. So I can go run Boston or run this or run that. It was just about having fun and enjoying the process and enjoying the environment and the city and being with like-minded people that just like to run. Um, So it was a really, yeah, it was freeing. It was a really freeing experience um, because I couldn't train the way I normally did. Um, And I just had to embrace the process and trust myself and trust John Bingham in his run walk book. And it worked. It was awesome. It was a lot of fun. Interesting. Okay. I have to ask because I'm also a recovering perfectionist, but what is your favorite tool trying to overcome the perfectionist mindset? Oh, that's a hard one. It is hard because (laughs) it's so, if, because it's so all encompassing perfectionism Mm -hmm. and it can be really damaging, Mm -hmm. um, really damaging. Um, I, I, that's hard. I, you know, I, I try as a recovering perfectionist to be okay with good enough. Mm -hmm. Um, and chances are usually my good enough is pretty damn good because I'm a perfectionist. Right. (laughs) Um, but it's just, it's giving yourself grace and knowing that perfectionism is a pipe dream. Perfect. Perfect is a pipe dream because even if you are perfect, okay, then, then 
you minimize that, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I got an A plus on that test, but it was easy. Or I got an A plus, but I didn't get the extra credit. Yeah. Or, um, you know, there's always going to be, you're, you're never happy with what you accomplish when you're a perfectionist because there's always another thing. Yep. Um, and that is just damaging. Hmm. Uh, there's no such thing as perfect. Um, there's effort. <laughs> there's um, enjoyment. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I wish I had a tool to talk about it because it's, um, I'll be on it, you know, being completely transparent. It's something that's hard for me to talk about because mm-hmm. I, perfectionism can be so damaging. Yeah. Um, but there's no such thing. There's no process in perfection. Um, if you can hold on a minute, I have a great poem. Can I go get it? Yeah, sure. I just talked to a swim team about perfectionism. We've been talking about fear of failure and perfectionism. And I actually got this poem in my life coaching class. Um, And what we talked about in the talk is instead of pursuing perfection, pursue excellence. Hmm. And this poem is what's the difference between excellence and perfection. And so it's called excellence versus perfection. Excellence is willing to be wrong. Perfection is always being right. Excellence is risk. Perfection is fear. Excellence is spontaneous. Perfection is control. Excellence is accepting. Perfection is judgment. Excellence is confidence. Perfection is doubt. Excellence is giving. Perfection is taking. Excellence is effort. Perfection is outcome. Excellence is flowing. Perfection is pressure. Hmm. Excellence is a journey. Perfection is a destination. So choose excellence. I love that. I actually teared up a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Because when you're a perfectionist, it resonates. Yeah. You know, the control, the judgment, the fear, the doubt, always having to be right. Those are all Mm -hmm. perfectionistic tendencies, very black and white thinking And the world isn't black and white. Um, And I think you'll appreciate this um, being St. Norbert's grad. One of my favorite quotes is Vince Lombardi. Um, And he, he said something along the lines that Perfection is not attainable, but in chasing perfection, we catch excellence. Hmm. And that's what I tried to leave the, the swim team with is that we're not going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. It's, it, there's no such thing. Yeah. But maybe we should be chasing, you know, we should be chasing excellence because then you aren't afraid to fail. You're not afraid to take a risk. You're, you're, there's no, there's not self-doubt because it's okay to make a mistake. Um, you know, it's focusing on your effort, not worrying about what the outcome is. And it's all of those things. So I love that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That was yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. So I have one more question. I ask all of my guests this question and it goes back to my podcast was originally a travel podcast. So it's my favorite question to ask. 
Okay. Um, if you could go anywhere in the world, where would you not go? Where would I not go? Well, today I would not go to Russia. I would not go to Russia today. I think at some point in my life, I would be interested in going, but that would be a place I would not go today. Um, so there's an answer. I'm, I'm not on my way to Russia in <laughs> October of 2022, probably not a safe place for Americans. Yep. Um, but other than that, I think there's be places that I'd be scared to go, but if I was given the opportunity, I probably would go. But I would say, okay, so I'm just going to leave it at Russia. I'll leave it at that just because it's not safe right now. Yeah, that's a good answer. Where would okay. you go? Where would I go? Yeah. Um, oh, gosh, that's a hard question, too, because um, <laughs> I, I do love to travel. Um, and the question is, do I go somewhere where I've never been or do I go somewhere where I've been before because I love it so much? Um, but so I'm Scandinavian by background. So I think I'd probably go to Scandinavia. Um Ooh. Sweden, Norway, Denmark, Finland, somewhere um, there, just because I've never been there. And that's my heritage. So there. That's a good that's answer. I would go. But <laughs> there's lots of places I would go. Lots of places I would go. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show. It was so great talking to you. Yes, it was good talking to you too. And I hope you edit a lot of stuff out. <laughs> <laughs> I will definitely not be, but I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. This was fun. I appreciate it. It's been a joy. Good. That was my interview with Kristen Westrick. I hope you loved our conversation as much as I did. She is so motivating, inspiring, and knowledgeable about mindset and all the work she does with athletes. I was so inspired and I'm constantly just thinking back to this conversation that we had. If you liked this conversation, I highly encourage you to check out my other guests. I truly have the most amazing people who come on the show, and I guarantee you'll find another person that you like. So please feel free to leave a review. Tell me what you think. You can always reach out to me on social media, but thank you so much for tuning in. Have a good one, and I can't wait to see where you go. Bye!